everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Loose Podcast. As always, I'm Curtis Byers, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. And this is not just another episode of the Roost Podcast, it is officially the 100th episode of the Roost Podcast. I um, wish we had happier things to discuss for this <laughs> momentous occasion, uh, but we do thank you all for sticking with us and... Uh, uh yeah, being interested enough that we kept doing this for a hundred episodes. I went back before this just because I was curious. I was like, "What did we talk about in episode one?" Going back, leading into the twenty nineteen season, that was pre pandemic. Yep. Um, uh, we previewed the season and did all the normal th- things, and then we talked about Aaron Cephas and whether or not he would be available. <laughs> Lo and behold, uh, did we realize uh, we were. <laughs> Yeah. We were foreshadowing what would become years of questionable wide receiver availability in the form of Boy. Cephas, Rosner, Pete, uh, said Patterson, uh, say, uh, Christian McStravick, who never, huh, never showed up. The unicorn himself. <laughs> There's a good, a good name for uh, Rice football trivia. Uh Sigh. Yep. So we've been doing this for a while. I've had fun. And uh, uh, better days than others. This will be a tough one. But we'll uh, we'll soldier through. And, you know, we'll, there'll be some some fun sprinkled in, I'm sure. Right? We'll have fun. At least a little bit, yeah. Like we alluded to last week, this is kind of our group therapy session for all <laughs> Rice football fans. Like, we need each other at this point. Yeah, we are here as your uh, your counselors to guide you through the emotional toll that Rice football takes in your life if you choose to care about it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even know how to feel about this game, honestly, because... Uh, Is like, it weird to say that I like I don't feel as bad about this game as either of the previous two games? No, I think that's correct. Like... It's, I mean, they were significant underdogs. They would have had to play a per- basically perfect game to stay in this one. Um, they didn't get totally humiliated the way they did against uh, UTSA, so that was nice at least. Um, and I think, I don't know, the, the, the one frustrating part was that like they would have had to play basically perfect. And, and they almost with- started that way. Right, yeah, and to, like, have all those moments happen exactly right in order for them to win. And obviously that didn't happen, but it wasn't like it was just like, ah, you know, they were never really in this, and there wasn't, you know, they did their best, but there was nothing they could have done. It was, like, you saw where the moments were there. Like, they got a a turnover in the end zone on the first drive and then immediately drove all the way down to the other end of the field and then fumbled it in the red zone and then gave up a 97-yard touchdown drive. And then got a stop and just didn't... There were just so many moments where it was like, oh, oh, could they stay in this early? And then it just didn't... Like a big, bad mistake happened at there were the several most moments. inopportune moments. Yeah, so Western Kentucky puts up 587 yards in this game and, and, and Bailey Zappi throws for five touchdowns. But... There were several times, like you were saying, particularly the third quarter, where the defense came away with a stop or the offense was kind of churning out and picking up yards. And it was getting to the point where you're like, okay, this this could get interesting. But, you know, I mean, Rice scored the they only just touchdown. They never in the sort of quarter. finished the drill. Yeah, they had, they had multiple opportunities to, to get one on the board and... You cut it to 28-14 going into the fourth quarter, and you're like, okay, it's doable. And then uh, not only did they not score at the end of the third quarter, uh, Western Kentucky drove down and opened the fourth quarter with the score. And then at that point, 35-7, and it was it was basically done. But, yeah, the sequence you alluded to earlier, you, they get the interception to stop on the first drive, and you march down the field. And that, that drive, we kind of, like, mapped out what had to happen. It was a six-and-a-half-minute drive that Rice went on on their first possession mm-hmm. of the game, milked the clock, drove the length of the field, and could have gone up at that point 7 nothing. And sure, at that point, everything is working well. 
um, and then you got a fumble. And that that the thing that that of course Western Kentucky and Bailey Zappi throwing all over the yard did them in, but uh, eight penalties for eighty yards. They had four interceptions uh, in this game, and then they had three fumbles. Only one of them was lost. So five turnovers for Rice in this game. Uh, the penalties have been, I don't know if we've really talked about it much, but this was the least penalized team in the nation in 2019 and in 2020. And I think they're probably averaging north of 50 or 60 penalty yards per game this year, which is double or triple where they were in years prior. So just kind of messy, not not perfect by any means, but just... Like there were enough moments that you could see the outline of like how this this upset would have come into folk. It, 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 this wasn't like UTSA where it was just a complete and total domination the whole time. So there were several moments where you were like, oh, if they had just done this, like it it would have been a game. But yeah, the UTSA you know. game, there was at no point where you felt that Rice had the right to be competitive. Like yeah. like you just like. Because you can, there are games where you know, like the UAB game, uh, it was questionable who was the better team on that day. Uh, UAB was sloppier, uh, and that was a huge part of that. Penalties for UAB was a huge part of extending that Mm -hmm. game and helping Rice. uh, But Rice won. Uh, You know, underdogs win all the time without being, you know, the clearly superior team, but they have the better day. Uh, Against Western Kentucky, I you kind of you could sense the entire game that that Western was the better team, but it didn't really feel like Rice didn't belong on the field. That's yeah. kind of how it felt in the UTSA game. Once once that kind of got out of hand, you're like, okay, this is this is not a fair fight, and it didn't it didn't really feel that way against Western, which was, I mean, Western scored forty two points. I think UAB or UAB uh, UTSA scored forty five. Yeah. Or. Am I getting my blowouts mixed up? No, I think I think that's right. I think it was <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, also that was very much what you expected Western Kentucky to do. Like they, we we talked about Bailey Zappi all off season and all season up to this point, and they have been as promised and were as promised against Rice. So I like I, I'm not gonna like fault the Rice defense too much here for getting shredded because that's kind of what we expected and you know they generated turnovers like they at least did kind of the you know the big 12 defense at the peak of the like you know 55 to 45 games you know where you just have to kind of get the key turnovers at the key moments it just the offense was often giving it right back and you're not gonna you know, it's like playing tennis and like getting key breaks, but then immediately getting broken back at love 40. So. Yeah, it, yeah, it didn't work. But I mean, even with that, you know, a couple, uh, a couple like there were there were moments, two, two three and outs, um, a four play drive with a punt. Just. There was enough in there, which is that's how you win a game like this, right? Like you're probably not forcing like, you know, five three and outs and just shutting this team yeah. down. And I, I mentioned in the uh, in the 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 pregame media availability with Bloomgren, I I asked him, so what's the game plan here? How do you stop Bailey Zappi? Because you're you're probably not winning this game fourteen to seven, and he just laughed. Um, and then proceed to answer the question of what their game plan was for Zappy, but yeah, this was this was never going to be a, a low scoring game by any any sense of the imagination. No. And then you had, um, and here's something that I I want to kind of parse apart because we talked in the west in the, in the Western game, we talked about the Charlotte game where Rice had the the most offensive yards that they had accrued under Mike Bloomgren. Aside from the FCS game against Texas Southern, uh, this game, they go ahead and compile uh, what was the final number here? It was 504 yards. So that new record against a non-FCS opponent, uh, about 200 of that was in fourth quarter, like obvious garbage time. But I was kind of keeping track. They were in the mid mid to low 300s 
by the end of the third quarter. So even if this is a more tight and competitive game and it's not, you know, a four-minute offense for the final three or four possessions, you're still looking at a game where neutral game script, you're probably in like the 350 to 380, 400 yards, which is a quality offensive performance from yardage perspective. And I want to I want to kind of note that because Jake Constantine had a really bad day and the quarterback play was probably more more of an impairment to this offense on Saturday than I think the the scheme or just the the raw ability of the players they had on the field was. Yeah, no, it was definitely not a situation where man they threw 50 times on Saturday. Holy crap. Yeah, that is Mike's insane. quarterback. Yeah. Um it was definitely not, you know, what we saw previous weeks where Constantine was really, really good and, you know, Rice just couldn't make the plays in key moments or whatever. Um, this was not his best game. And yeah. And I mean, coming into his Rice career, if you go look at his 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 Weber state, we it's Weber, right? Weber? Yes. Weber. Yeah, Weber. We, we, Weber State. If you look at his Weber State stats, this was always kind of his problem in his Achilles heel as he threw a lot of interceptions and like a, like a three to two touchdown to interception rate over his career as a starter at, at Weber. And, you know, we've seen him play. He's talented enough that he can kind of overcome those mistakes and dig himself out of some of those holes by just throwing more touchdowns. But uh, that didn't come to roost. Oh, look, roost pod. But um, shh on Saturday. So yeah, that that was tough. I don't we've had really good quarterback play the last several weeks with Constantine. And so I'm not putting this loss on him. I but you know, four less interceptions would have made this thing more interesting. Yeah. Hey, uh, he 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 didn't exactly help it here, but um a lot of times he has this season, he has been sort of the only bright spot for Rice. So uh, I'm not going to dig in too hard for it. And this offense is just not built to like play from play from well behind in a shootout. Um, so I think you're just, you know, asking him to throw it 50 times when you're consistently down, you know, 14 to 20 points at any given moment. Uh, or up to 28 points at any given moment in this one, I should say. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm not gonna like, you know, bad game for him, but I'm not gonna complain too much about it. No, and I think it's worth noting the the running game. I think was was reasonably productive. You you take out the sack yardage from from Constantine, and you're looking at somewhere around four ish, probably uh, four yeah. yards a carry or so. And uh, Ari Broussard, uh, fifteen for sixty. Uh, Jordan Myers was a, a late kind of su- surprise scratch in this one. He was uh, going in, in pregame warmups, but w- wasn't able to go. He was standing there, no helmet, by the coaching staff during the game. And so you're you're down uh, Myers, who at this point, I guess Broussard was the the running back, the starting running back at this point. Anyways, uh, he did. He did well. He kind of picked up some chunk yardage. I thought he did a good job. The offensive line did of, of falling forward and creating opportunities where it was a six, six five or a six yard run. And he took a couple of the he took over for the short yardage runs that that Jordan Myers would have been in on like the, the jumbo packages. So mm-hmm. on a given run, he was probably going for five or six. And that was working and they were moving the ball. Cam Montgomery came in and he had a couple runs up the middle that worked. Yeah, that which I mean, seven for thirty-six uh is probably the best brushing game from his his rice career, probably. Um it's it's yeah, gotta be. Like the the running backs in general like all played pretty well and, and the offensive line did a pretty solid job for them. It just was not the sort of game where running it a ton was never really going to do much for you. Um, I do think it's encouraging that you're seeing sort of an uptick from the offensive line and the running backs over the last few weeks, even if it's just been loss after loss after loss. Um, at least that's sort of something to build off. Yeah, it's the, it's 
you know, we're tired of saying it's a growth and defeat, but from what we've seen from the offense and, and maybe this kind of lends to more of our, our big picture kind of commentary, but I think I'm pretty happy with what we've seen from the offense over the past month. I know that, you know, more points would be nice. Uh, certainly, but, you know, we've kind of seen the the growth where I think I want less penalties and less turnovers, but I was I was kind of pinching myself on Saturday because we saw Rice line up with with five wide, no nobody in the backfield several times during this game. And I and I want to say that in the last like just call it the last three weeks. I think Rice has run more plays with an empty backfield in the past three weeks than the previous three years under this coaching staff. Does That's that feel probably right? Probably accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what I would say is, it's a, a, this is a very low bar to clear in modern college football, but uh, I think you have to adjust it relative to what we've seen from this offense over the last few years. Rice has scored more than twenty points in four straight games since the loss to UTSA. Uh, how many times has uh, I'm would have not checked the game log, but I would be strongly willing to bet that they have never scored more than 20 points in four straight games under this staff before. Didn't they average like 18 a game in 2019? Yeah, I mean, in, in both 2018 and <laughs> 2019, like, and the scoring out was actually a little lower in 19 and 18, I think, but both of those years they averaged under 20 points a game. Um, I don't remember yeah. exactly what the output was against... Like, it wouldn't have been at any point in 2020. In 2018, they had 27 at Houston, 29 in Hawaii, 22 Southern Miss, and 24 Wake Forest. They then uh, proceeded to score three points over the next two games combined against UTSA yeah. and UNB. Yeah. So, all oh, right. 31 before is... that Prairie View. So, actually, the last time... Yeah. yeah, I'm looking. The last time... You have a Rice team that scores 20 points or more in four consecutive games was the first four games, and that included an FCS game. So, yeah, you take out the UTSA game, the no-show. Rice has scored 20, 21 or more points in six of their last seven, which, again, which, yeah, I that feels pretty good. <laughs> If you're looking for reasons for optimism, I guess there's a like it's probably the the defensive improvement is probably not happening this year and next year I guess they have to find a quarterback again because Constantine is like a sixth year or seventh year at this point. Uh, I don't think I think this was his additional COVID year, so I don't think he's right. getting another one. But um, the staff has proven they can coach good defense. And now we are at least showing something on offense that was not there previously, aside from a few beautiful, glorious moments with Mike Collins, a quarterback. Um, so here's at least something resembling proof of concept on both sides. You'd love it for it to happen at the same time on both sides. But I will say that coming into this year, I was getting to the point where I was wondering if this staff could really produce much in the way of good offense at all. and even if it's been over a stretch of mostly bad games, this last month has at least showed something on that front. Um, if you So if you are someone who is inclined to look for the positives in anything, I guess there's something there. Yeah, I mean... I don't, I don't know if there's too much more to add to that, but I think it's, it's, it's notable. And, and I guess really the... the 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 question is is not you know has there been growth in that area i think that's pretty pretty unquestionable i think and i think a lot of that we i i clearly have to link it to coach tui coming in because yeah. and maybe and this is not to say that that prior offensive coordinator jerry mack you know wasn't but i think maybe with Tui, Bloomgren has been more willing. I see more of Tui's imp 
imprint on this offense. Yes. When you look at formations, mm. motion, just how they kind of design these plays and set them up, I see a lot more of those spread concepts then because Mac did a lot of that at previous stops too and did a lot of tempo right. before he got to Rice. But the offense that we saw with Mac as OC was Mike Bloomberg's offense. Exactly. Tui has been given a freedom to run this offense in a way that he thinks is most effective in the way that uh, that uh, Mac had not, which I guess credit to Bloomberg there. A lot of coaches who tend to be very hands-on with one side of the ball are not willing to give up any level of control on that, even when results might suggest that that would be best practice. And I guess you got to give Bloom some credit in that they he has clearly ceded some control, and it seems to have improved the results a little bit. Yeah, and then on the other side of the ball, I I don't I don't understand, um, but Brian Smith has earned so much benefit of the doubt at this point that I'm just willing to reshuffle the deck and move on. Yeah, I don't I don't know if last year because what was curious to me is. They did this last year without a secondary, like yeah. no corners or safeties. This year they have their corners. Uh, Trayshawn Devones has been been out for the year uh, with injuries. That's been disappointing. But I think Sean Fresh has been the one that we kind of like, oh, you're still growing up, but has continued to progressively look better and better and better over the past couple of weeks. He's had he's been a guy that you've seen and Zappy did this, too. You've seen quarterbacks kind of single out and target. He's been the guy that they line up to try and get their one-on-ones on. And I think he's made a couple good plays. I think he got flagged for a PI on Saturday that uh, was give or take. But he's held his own. Uh, and that's kind of, we saw him get burned a couple times earlier on in the season. So, But that the corners have been great, I think. that The safety play has been um, and maybe it's not fair to put it all in the safeties. I don't know how all these plays and individual pieces are getting pulled up, but the, the long and short of it is the, the cushion and the ability of these wide receivers to get inside and get up and make plays is it's kind of it's a 10 to 15 yard play and the safety has to come down and make the tackle. Uh, yeah, they've missed when Kashawn Chamberlain has been off the field this year. They have missed him a lot. And maybe he was the one guy that you couldn't afford to lose because he was there last year. It, it turns out that it was. I, I think we, we, if you were to make a conclusion here, I think that would be a pretty solid one to draw. Um, so, so they, yeah, they, they have to be able to run this defense without Trayshawn Chamberlain because I, Trayshawn's great, but he's probably not staying in college for like 15 years. Like he'll probably go on at some point and do something else. Yeah, eventually. So. Yeah. That's kind of concerning, but yeah, I I don't know. I, yeah, again, I, I think you're exactly right in that the results up to this point, even if this year has been a disappointment, uh, Brian Smith has earned the benefit of the doubt at this point, at least for another season, I would say. So, um, and, and it's disappointing that you can't get DeBrailing Carroll and Elijah Garcia next to each other because that would right. be unfair. Yeah, but no, I even think, when I think having DeBrailing there to get that interior pressure would change the outlook of this defense more than one player generally might. Right, and I think it's not that you know losing Elijah at the end of the season is will be a bummer, but I think putting even DeBrailing in by himself, he's he's more of a like a more of a disruptor. Then yeah. Elijah is like Elijah is like he is one of the best interior tacklers. Uh, the, he kind of is is savvy, can slide and and get get to the point of attack. But that just DeBraylin is is different. So yeah, just, having, just one of those like true disruptive like three technique types that's just like are among the most coveted types of players in football because having that guy that gets that interior pressure can just blow up just entirely disrupt everything an offense wants to do. Like, think an Aaron Donald type, or like when Quinton Williams played for Alabama in 2018, or or Warren Sapp would be the classic NFL example. Like, a guy who can who can constantly disrupt things on the interior is just going to completely change the outlook for a defense. And so I think losing him 
I mean, can I say probably hurt more than losing Blaze Aldridge? Not that they don't miss Blaze, but like, I think if I can. Aiden Ciano started this game and he's not Blaze. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I think they've been all right on the linebacker front. Yeah. The problem, Blaze's biggest contribution to this team is that he could move sideline to sideline in in a in a blink. Like he right. was able like if somebody was coming out of the backfield, Blaze was going to stop them. Like big chunk runs did not happen on this defense a large part because of Blaze. Uh, Blaze doesn't cover the intermediate area of the field. <laughs> and that's that's the problem. And so yeah, not having somebody on the interior to get to the quarterback to slow that, that's been a bigger loss, I think. Yeah. So, uh, again, we've been sad about the defense, but we'll trust in the results we had gotten prior to this point and uh, hope for better health next year, I guess. Yeah. So, um, is that I, I, is that the thoughts we have on Western? Yeah, no. And then I, going I to UTEP think... next week, yeah. uh, which someone did point out, and this kind of dovetails into our, our our coaching conversation. But someone did point out to me that technically, if Rice were to win out at five and seven, the bowl game kind of pecking order for five and seven teams goes by APR, uh, which is uh, oh, what does that stand for? Uh, academic progress. Yeah, ac- it's a, academic. It's progress. a very weird measure of like academic success for football teams that's probably really not an accurate look at how good of a job you're doing academically for your players, but... um, Right. But Rice is good at academics. Yeah, places a lot of value on, like, four-year graduation rates, I think, um, which Rice is going to be very good at. So um, it is a very good... It's a very... Not a great, like, measure of academics that the NCAA uses, but it's one that Rice is going to tend to do very well in, so... Yeah, so that's not to say Rice is going to make a bowl at five and seven. They're still probably not going to make a bowl at seven. Very likely to not make a bowl at five and seven. But and also like like how well do we trust them to win both of these games down the stretch? Like they absolutely could, but they don't play Bailey Zappy anymore, and that's a good thing. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah, so that that's not counting chickens before they hatch. There we go. That's a good Texan phrase. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's there on on the coaching front. In this, I, we got to talk about this, even though we don't want to talk about this, maybe. Yeah. Or I don't want to talk about this, but I, just kind of setting the stage because I know a lot of conversation in recent weeks, and I've been asked about it, has been kind of the the coaching trajectory of Mike Bloom and his tenure at Rice and what the move here for Rice is. So just kind of setting the stage. He signed a five-year contract when he was hired going into the the 2018 season. So that is this will be year four that is currently underway, about to be completed in a couple weeks going into year five. So the kind of the question here people are asking is what what's the answer at the the head coaching position? Is it time to move on and go find a new coach? Essentially, um, I, I have thoughts on this and. Pros and cons, but I think the, the the clear delineator here right now is the expectation for this season was a bull berth, and that's not going to happen. Um, even if they win two more, that's that's not going to happen. The kind of you know glass half full looking at the other side is right now, if the Owls win one more game, they will have the highest win total of his tenure so far and if they can win two more they would then have an increased their winning percentage in every subsequent year under bloomgren so at the point of this time of recording the year-to-year improvement is is actually still very much so on the table however much you believe in rice's ability to kind of close out and win these games so i i, I struggle because we talk about and i see we talked about the offense with Coach Tui. Our question going into this year was, could the offense work? And it, and it does. It, it does enough that we thought with a very good defense, it could get there. So I see kind of the arguments and the points for, because I think really uh, kind of Bloomgren's uh, 
things that he would want to have back are some in-game play calls, um, some decision makings here that have kind of not given his team the best chance of, to win. But what we've seen through, I guess, three years to four is some growth on that front. You know, <laughs> Rice is losing in overtime now instead of getting blown out by 20, <laughs> which like it's still a loss. But <laughs> so we see growth there to that point. I guess the real question is, uh, at what rate is it supposed to be? <laughs> and what are fair expectations? Uh, and I don't know if I have an answer for that. Yeah, I, I don't think there are good answers on this front right now, um, just because, like, I get the frustrations. I have certainly myself at times this season wondered, uh, like, or wondered and even, like, thought that maybe it was time to move on. Um, what I would say generally is uh, you don't want to find yourself in, uh, I think, what Bill Connolly refers to as, like, Glenn Mason territory, which is essentially the idea that, like, kind of be careful what you wish for and uh, don't fire a coach who is, I don't know, got you at one level because you think there's another level you should be at and you need to be realistic about what level is generally and sustainably possible for your program. Um, I would like to think that the ceiling for Rice football is a little higher than this. I would like to think that they're on a trajectory to find that. Um, but the other big thing I would say is that you don't, you shouldn't make a move in a situation like this unless you are damn sure that there is someone out there that you know is better that you know you can get. And I don't know who that is right now. <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who have ideas about who that would be, who are being either very unrealistic about Rice's ability to draw that person with where the program is right now and with the amount that they would be able to pay. Um, and I think there are some who have certain ideas that would not necessarily be upgrades in the way that they imagine. So um, I think if you ask me to like make a judgment and, and, and first of all, I think it really depends. I think you do have to like let the season play out. Like maybe two games should not be the delineating factor regardless, but like if Rice wins these two games and ends the season five and seven and improves not only their, you know, year to year wins, but also like you said, the year to year winning percentage every single year, um, I don't know how you make a move at that point, even as frustrating as the season has been. But like if they just absolutely fall apart and get blown out by UTEP and Louisiana Tech over the next two weeks, um, I don't know, like maybe you don't make the move off just those games, but that has to factor into it. And suddenly you're you're weighing things a different way. So I do think the season has to play out. But like, yeah, and and I would agree because I, so it, as from from a fan's perspective, when when the program that you you know you paid the dollars for, you went to school, you got the degree, you've seen it through the highs and lows. When it's not winning, you have like the blame factor is there, and it's a saying you know putting it on the head coach for not winning enough football games is fair because it's the head coach's job to win. Yeah, eventually it becomes games. a buck stop here buck stops here type situation. Right. But like you said, A, who you're gonna go get and then B, like just sometimes like the answer is it's his fault and he needs to get better and and he does. And and I'm that's like that not a not a cop out here, but you don't gain and we've seen it in college football this year. Coaches let go mid season. Uh, look, look at what happened this weekend with the University of Florida, who fired their defensive coordinator and then gave up 42 points to Samford. 52. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 42 before halftime. 52 to Samford. And, and, and tell me how that is in the best interest of the program and the student athletes. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I. Well, and it's one thing, like, I think. At Rice. Like, we just have to be realistic. This is a really, really, really hard job. Like, there are people who, I think, imagine that Rice is still haven't quite gotten it out of their minds that Rice is not in the Southwest Conference anymore. 
and doesn't play in a power conference. And first of all, seem to have entirely uh, an entirely sort of rose-scented glasses view of what Rice was when it was in the South Co- Southwestern Conference to begin with. I mean, just go back and look at the season-by-season records just, like, in the big table on Wikipedia for, like, the 60s through the 80s. It wasn't real pretty. Like, I'll tell you that much. So, The Athletic did run an article earlier this season about the the hardest jobs, the toughest jobs in college football. And and Rice made the list. Rice had at least one first-place vote for the hardest job in college football. and. That's the case. And so if if and here's the thing, like looking at it from, you know, maybe someone who who wasn't here in the 60s and the 40s and the 50s and, and seeing the heyday and just is kind of evaluating from the what I see in front of it. If I have a college, if I if I want to win college football games at Rice, a place with challenging academics standards, a place with low cash flow pre AAC, we're moving up. Right. Yeah. Um, I need a coach who can recruit his butt off and bring better talent in. And then I need to see uh, growth on on all phases of the ball. And Rice has now brought in three of the five highest rated classes in program history under Mike Bloomgren. And that is a piece that I don't think you can take for granted. I think the job that Alex Brown is doing on the recruiting front is incredible. and. It's a lot easier to, like, if the talent pool was not better right now, Rice wouldn't be losing multiple games in overtime. They would never get to overtime. And I don't necessarily think overtime is a good place to be. I think me and Bloomgren might disagree on that issue, but it's there. So the, the recruiting piece is there. Uh, the offensive piece, I, I really think with what we've seen with Tui, if you have a, and we haven't talked about Luke McCaffrey in like six weeks. Um if you have, you know, reliable quarterback play that doesn't turn the ball over, it can make a couple plays. Like maybe that's where he is next year after a year to learn the system. Yeah. I mean, Wiley Green will be back for his 100th year next year, too. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And, and then there's kind of the. And has another year after that. He does, actually. Because of the COVID year, yeah. He's technically a, like a fourth year sophomore or yeah. something like that. It's ridiculous. But, yeah. So. The recruiting piece is there. The offensive piece, that growth piece uh, is there. The defensive piece we kind of addressed. I'm I'm not concerned yet. Special teams has been bad, so they need an answer there. But we've seen, you know, it helps when you have Jack Fox. But even without Jack Fox, when it was Chris Barnes and Adam Nunez. Yeah, no, we've seen and, the special teams be very good. I, the, the ultimate thought I would have here, and it's funny how we end up talking through this, and I end up as I say things become more and more certain of certain of, of opinions that I have, but like at a place like rice, as hard as this job is, you cannot make snap decisions because you're frustrated because the growth isn't fast enough or is because it's not as linear as you would like. So the last move they made to fire David Bailiff the program, which he himself had taken to a certain height with three straight bowls and a conference championship, had cratered. The recruiting was a disaster at that point. The um, the program had just gone three straight seasons of declining wins from, well, I guess you would say, well, they had declined wins every season from the conference championship season from like 10 to 7 to 5 to 3 to 1. And aside on that, just to, to drive in your point, I talked to Paul Garcia, uh, what, two weeks ago at this point, and I kind of talked to him about, you know, where, what what growth, what have you, how have you seen this program change since you got here, kind of asking that big question, big picture questions. And he said, the spring, uh, my first spring, we practiced with six offensive linemen. And he said, it, and it was the worst month of my life. <laughs> Because, because, and like, just like kind of joking, but not really, because six, only having six offensive linemen and running through like several spring practices in Houston where it's still hot, I'd imagine it's not fine, but they had to like close practice early the Bloomberg's second spring because they didn't have enough bodies. So that was the starting point. Literally not enough players to effectively run spring practice. 
So, aside, <laughs> continue. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, and this is not to badmouth David Bailiff, who, by all accounts, is one of the nicest, most genuinely good people you will ever meet. Um, but there was a reason to that, to make that move, and it's because things had gotten to a certain point, and then they had, the, the floor just absolutely fell out. That's not what's happening in this program right now. Like, what's happening right now is that we thought we'd take, they'd take another step, and they haven't really taken that step, and it's been really, really frustrating to watch. Well, I think we um, thought they would take this, they, the, the step we thought they would take is they were a, a two and three team last year, uh, what, a, a two and ten, or a three and nine team the year before. Yep. We thought the step would, would be, would be duplicative. We thought this would be a six win team. And yeah. it's looking like that the step taken, you know, we, like we said, we got to see the last two games for sure. But the step taken is a smaller one, maybe that losing closer sometimes and then just being just ruthlessly inconsistent. Yeah. Like, so I think it is very, very dangerous for a program like Rice to make a move like this because progress isn't happening fast enough. I think that's a very, very dangerous place to be. Again, unless you are damn certain that there is someone out there who you will bring in and right away either immediately make the program a success or like, you know, you might have a slight dip and then set it on this immediate upward trajectory. I don't know that that kind of super rapid upward trajectory is even possible. Yeah, I mean, go go pick your favorite conference USA program. Like, obviously, Jeff Trailer at UTSA is the, the the golden boy right now, right? But like, look at North Texas. Yeah, North, North Texas is actually a great like, example. Rice is not UTSA. Let me repeat that for you. Rice is not UTSA. <laughs> you are not going to hire some good old boy Texas coach, some Texas high school coach who can immediately recruit all the talent in your area that's not being sucked up by major programs and then just immediately make this juggernaut on it. Rice doesn't work that way. The academics don't work that way. The demographics don't work that way. It is not 1975. It doesn't and work that way anymore. To be fair. If, if it ever worked that way to begin with, which I don't think it ever did to the extent that some of uh, a certain demographic of Rice's fans act like it did. And. We haven't seen Trailer win with his guys yet. Just, I'm not saying he's not going to win, but this is still Frank Wilson's team. He's winning with Frank Wilson's guys. Yeah. So and there is a certain class of coach that is great at coming in and getting guys to buy in and uh, and getting results, and then you have to do it with your own guys, and it doesn't work so well. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I like I, I see USA Trailer, connection. I think, yeah, I think Trailer is a great coach i think he's building utsa in the way that that program should be built there was a there was a huge like hole in the ecosystem of like texas college football at this level that could have been filled by a program that is exactly utsa and trailer looks like the guy who has had them stepping into that void so i give them all the credit in the world that is not Rice's situation. You cannot hire a Jeff Trailer and make that kind of thing happen at Rice. That is not the kind of school Rice is. That's not the kind of recruiting environment they're in. That's not the kind of... There was no history for UTSA for Trailer to step into. There's a lot of bad history at Rice. There is, to be frank, not a lot of fan support for this program. Very little, in fact. There's... It's just not that kind of environment. You are not going to do what they're doing, and you shouldn't try to do what they're doing. You're a different school with a different outlook, with a different recruiting profile, a different everything, basically, other than that your G5 programs in the state of Texas. So I just think, uh, look, I am in full sympathy with everyone's frustrations with this team and this program right now, but I think... Trying to make a move at this juncture again, like if the bottom just absolutely falls out over the next two week, next two weeks, maybe we can have this conversation again. But I think advocating for a full on 
regime change at this point is a very, very dangerous move for the reasons that you would be doing it right now. Yeah. I'm, and for the record, I don't think Joe, I don't think Carl Gard is that kind of rash decision maker. So I've been wrong before, but I would be stunned if Bloomgren is not the head coach through this, the end of this season. I would, I, this is not reporting. This is just my, my honest thoughts. I just, I just don't see it. Um, but yeah, and I, I echo a lot of those sentiments and, and I think, you know, like we've, like we've said, like, yeah, you, like Rice fans, like you can and you should be mad. Like if it's, if the, 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 pro- it wasn't just like we're going to get better. You, Rice fans were promised a bowl game. And if they're not going to get yeah. that, yeah, they didn't make it. And, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean the, the outcome has to be, okay, we need a new head coach. Um, all the yeah. points you made are valid. And I think it's interesting because it, it ties, and I know we don't have an official, AAC move date, but most people think it's going to be 2023. And Bloomgren's contract right now goes through 2022. So at this point, you kind of have a window now if you're Rice. Uh, if you, it, like you said, if the, I, I don't know, if Nick Saban, you know, decides that he's had enough at Alabama and he just kind of wants to move where there's less pressure and come over to Rice and try and win, you say yes. Like you say, Mike, we love you, but Nick Saban said he would like to coach you. That's fine. But Nick Saban, probably not coming to Rice. Feel pretty good about that. No. Yeah. 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 So no, um, you know, the, 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 so here's the thing, the risk reward. If you, if you give Bloomgren the, the, the fifth year of his contract and he goes out and he either does, uh, shows the growth that you wanted to, Rice makes a bowl game, progress is there. Uh, or he doesn't. It, it, at worst, you're 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 just. I'm game theory in here. This is this is math. This is rice, right? So you you miss out on whoever you could have hired in this cycle. If you make a change, then more than likely what you're seeing, like yeah, the trailers exist who can take over with somebody else's guys and just turn it on and it goes. But we've seen that trailer. I mentioned North Texas and Seth Luttrell, what he was able to do with. <laughs> with someone else's guys largely and Turner on has just cratered uh, up in Denton. And you're potentially not just saying, Oh, let's, let's do one year. You're talking about another multi-year, you know, rebuild. And uh, like Southern Miss fans were really frustrated uh, with what was going on out there. They have a new head coach. Uh, they tried to beat UTSA without a quarterback and just run wildcat all game, which was interesting, but worked better than they'd had a right to. Right. They, they got closer to beating UTSA than Rice did. So there's that, but like, like they still lost. Like that's the alternative here. And that's kind of what I'm, what I'm saying at like, yeah, you could strike gold and find the right guy who leads you to success for years and years to come. But uh, spoiler alert, if Rice finds that guy and he goes 12 and 0 at Rice or something and like, he's probably not going to be at Rice for another year. Like that, that flash in the pan up and coming. Ooh, I'm going like. We've seen this movie before, like in recent history. Where is uh, where is he now? Um, Hawaii. Huh. <laughs> Not yeah. to bring up old bad that's rice a, memories. That's a that's a journey. <laughs> so I'm just saying, like the the upside is you give it a year, it works out or it doesn't, or you hit the reset button. And at that point, your range of outcomes is a lot wider, and not all of them are good. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like at this point, date. like the what we've seen this year, like even if it's you know three wins, like that's the floor now. Like, yeah, realistically, you, I, I, I could, I couldn't have fat. We couldn't really fathom. I think we said like you know maybe four or five being the absolute worst we could see going into the season, like upwards of eight. But like that's the floor. Like it's very yeah. possible with Rice and like USC is on the schedule next year. You could find a floor that's back down to one. Yeah. And I, I also think there's a danger in, I think a lot of people are looking at um, the move to the AAC as like a, oh, you know, you're stepping up. You want to like step up the commitment. And I, I think and I hope Rice is like they're just announced like huge, huge capital campaign for athletics. Um, but there's also a danger in like these days when you make a coaching change. Like, 
with the one year eligibility, well, the one year transfer rule and the early signing period. Um, it is very difficult these days to make a coaching change at all without essentially gutting the roster for like a little bit at least because, um, you're, you're going to lose some guys to transfers anytime you make a coaching change and your first class and probably your, your first class is probably going to be a disaster and your second class is probably going to be below what you want it to be because of the way the timing works out with the early signing period. So I think it is a very risky move for Rice to be potentially putting itself in a situation to gut the roster right as you're entering the AAC. I think personally, I would rather, you know, as we've said a million times, like take a chance on writing out with a guy who has been slowly but steadily upgrading the talent level as Rice prepares to make this big commitment and see if making that additional commitment in terms of finances and resources for the program adds something to what they can do with this staff. And like, if it doesn't work out and you eventually make the change, like I think ultimately you will have Rice in a better place from a program health perspective when that change is made rather than doing it rashly at this point and potentially having the transition screw something up else as well. Yeah. You talk about uh, the impact of a coaching uh, change on that recruiting process Uh, to this end, the, the original, so Bloomgren got hired. I think it was like, it was like five or six days before the early signing period, the first early signing Mm -hmm. period. Yeah. The very first one. Yeah. And the, uh, that he signed five guys on that first day of the early signing period and uh, six guys, one guy was added later. Uh, some of those new guys, uh, Cole Garcia, who flipped from Air Force to Rice the, the week, <laughs> oh, a week after <laughs> Bloomgren had been hired, who he's now started multiple years uh, for Rice. Uh, Andrew Bird was in that class who has started multiple games and been a good, good depth piece uh, at that point. Uh, Clay Servant, left tackle for several years now, was in that. So that, that's what, like, Miles Adams was one of, was one of those other guys. Uh, Jack has Batley, who I, I don't know if he ever did more in special teams, but, but still, you're talking four or five guys that were starters and key depth pieces, a program that didn't have either, uh, on six days on the job. So, like... And, and, and what I'll say about that is like, that is a shockingly high hit rate. Right. That's, that's together, astounding. You tell me five of the six guys like are still on the two deep from that roster. Yeah. A roster that was playing a scout team fourth string running back at corner in the second game of the season. Never going to forget that. Like, just what? Say, yeah, go guard Marquez Stevenson. Yeah. It did yeah. not. Yeah, no, so, yeah, I think we've kind of hit the high points, and we'll see where this kind of last two games goes. Uh, so, yes, be mad if, like, if they don't reach the standard that they said. You can hold them accountable. That's that's kind of what they promised. It wasn't just us asking for a bowl game. That's what they said, which we all thought was fair. So that's fair. And then I, I, I'm never going to be one who just is – like calling for people's job like is lame one, but two, if you're going to do it, like then, then what's the plan? Because jumping out of an airplane without a plan is a bad idea. And that's what a coaching change is. So if you can, you can hop into it, you know, a new jet right below you and, and soar. That's great. If you have a parachute and a plan to get to a new place, that's great. But just jumping out of the plane because you're mad doesn't get us anywhere. Yeah, no, jumping, jumping out of the plane because you're mad and the, mad the plane is on fire. Uh, if you don't have any plan for what's happening after you get out of the plane, you're going to be just as dead as if you were, if you, as if you had just crashed with the, the, the plane being on fire. So, uh, yeah. All of these analogies. <laughs> this is kind of where we're at. You can have a different opinion than me. That's fine. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, a, I'm a generally optimistic person and I know that there's lots of people that, that are Rice fans that don't appreciate me for that. And that's also fine. But I think it comes for me, and I can just kind of, we'll land the plane here. See what I did, tying in that analogy. Yeah, there we go. 
that it, it, it comes to base expectations. And I think where this program is at right now is at a point where it, turning on a switch and getting to six wins was always going to be a big task. And I think when you put Arkansas and Texas and Houston, it's Houston nine and one now. I think they're going to, they just clinched a spot in the AAC title game. Yeah. The current AAC. Starting off a season with those three teams, at, like Rice isn't as good as those teams. Like, yeah, we want them to be, but I don't know who you're going to hire that's going to go and beat Texas. I'm sorry. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, maybe once, maybe everything works. They Bloomgren almost beat Arkansas. Yeah. So who knows? And 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 that I'm not like trying. I'm not talking trying to talk down to people. Like that's not my personality at all. But I think it kind of just let's manage our expectations here and let's see where it goes because I feel like you can be you can be disappointed. And man, I talked to some of these kids after the Western Kentucky game, like. Elijah Garcia, defensive tackle, came back because he wanted to go to a bowl game, and he's not. And that sucks. Yeah. But that's always a good thing to keep in mind is that no matter how mad or upset or disappointed you might be as a fan, trust me, it is always worse for the players. Um, and trust me, as someone who is often has extremely emotional reactions to football games, especially in the moment, uh, <laughs> I share all frustrations and disappointment that have been coming from the season. I just, again, say, like, the, the, the plain metaphor is a perfect one because you cannot make a move like this unless you have a plan for how it gets better immediately. A concrete plan, not just like an I'll figure it out once we jump out of the plane thing. This is not a MacGyver situation. You need to have a plan before you jump out. So, um, in the absence of a better plan it might be better to go back into the cockpit and see if you can fix that engine failure rather than just jumping out right now. Yeah, because trust me, there's always somebody worse off. <laughs> yeah, but The Butch Davis FIU fallout right now is, is looking pretty Ooh. dicey. I don't know who's going to want to take that job. <laughs> Everything that came out, it's just, it's a mess. So trust me, there's the grass is not always greener. And, you know, like, like we've seen some good things. I'm optimistic. I'm always optimistic. Y'all can, <laughs> you, you, if you've been listening to Carter, well, I'm not going to put that on you, but if you listen to me long enough or reading me long enough, that's kind of going to be where I'm at. So it's what it is. We will, uh, we'll live to fight another day. We'll see another Rice football game this weekend uh, against UTEP. And, you know, honestly, that should be a pretty good barometer because these are both two programs. Dimmel was brought in at the same time as Bloomgren that are kind of supposed to be going up and taking that trajectory. So we'll see that UTEP is 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 better than they ever have been since Rice has played them. But yeah, we, we think also, Rice is better than they've been in the past yeah. four years, too. I so. will also point out for those of you that are saying, oh, why is UTEP going to bowl this year? Rice will get to a bowl. Obviously, they're doing a better job. Uh, New uh, UTEP's out-of-conference games this year were New Mexico State, Bethune, Cookman, Boise, and New Mexico. They play both New Mexico and New Mexico State. The difference in that uh, out-of-conference schedule and is the two wins they played is pretty much the difference between the records of Rice and UTEP right now. So if you want to be mad at somebody, uh, I guess be mad at the athletic department for not scheduling. Yeah, you can New be Mexico. mad at Joe Carlgard, I guess, for putting the schedule together. But at that time, while you're yelling at him for that, you also have to say thank you for getting you out of Conference USA. So, yeah, you can be mad. Is, like all of these things is are fair. not something UTEP can say right now. So uh, <laughs> this is true. Which one would you rather have? A six-win season in Conference USA forever, or a disappointing, underwhelming season but about to be going to the AAC? I want that one. Yeah, no, I will take the uh, I will take the conference that's not CUSA in literally any context. <laughs> that's a good way to wrap up. <laughs> yeah, at least you're anyway, not. Anyway, so long, Sorry. CUSA. We won't, we won't miss you. Um, we'll see y'all next week. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we're we're closing the season on a high note. 
over the next two weeks, but uh, we'll be with you as we always are, and Rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.